Welcome in to Chrono Trigger Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I am Ira Creaseman. And on this episode, we will be wrapping up our conversation on the plot, themes, characters, and big ideas of one of the greatest video games of all time, certainly one of our favorites, and one of the favorites of just about any fan of JRPGs. That's right, it's Chrono Trigger. Boy, is there a lot to wrap up with this, too. We asked a lot of big questions uh, way back when, when we first began our conversation about this game. We're going to go through some of them. A lot of them center around the nature of time travel and some of the fun sci-fi questions there, and some of them a bit more personal and some of them a, a bit more global. There's a lot to jump into here, so I think we should just get going right away, Ira, into first some other examples of time travel as we're including this in the Final Fantasy multiverse, figured we'd run through uh, some pretty fun examples of other time travel stories that we will be or have already discussed. Yeah, so the first obvious example is Final Fantasy 1. At the end of that game, we find out there's there's a very big time loop. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is... Our our heroes, or, or, or rather, uh, Garland is is manipulated by the powers of chaos from thousands of years ago. And when he is defeated by our heroes, uh, he is pulled into the past, where he becomes chaos and pushes the uh, the four fiends into the present. That that loop happens over and over again until our heroes can eventually defeat chaos, break the loop, and are forgotten by the denizens of Final Fantasy One. Also, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but in Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy Tactics, something weird happens with Cloud and the life stream. Uh, you could maybe make the argument, especially if you're a believer in the One Earth theory that all the Final Fantasy games actually take place on the same planet just over a really long period of time, that Cloud, when he shows up in Final Fantasy Tactics, actually goes back in time. In Final you, Fantasy VIII, oh, <laughs> no, no, now you, now you have to discuss. No, now explain I, this, buddy. I can't can explain this. All right. <clears throat> In Final Fantasy VIII, we have what is for me one of the more difficult plot points to explain in Final Fantasy, and that's saying something. The time compression. That is, we start this game with, you know, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be waiting for you. you now, why? You know, when, when I, I can't I can't remember what exactly it is, but you know, when when the thing happens, I will be there. But, but what does that mean? And we won't find out, assuming we ever do actually find out, <laughs> until the end of the game, right? There's this time compression, the the sorceress Ultimesia, from what thousands of years in the future, right. is influencing the sorceress Adia, and has influenced all sorceresses before that. So all those times are happening in a single moment. And our uh, floppy-haired lion, well, I mean, it's a good thing he made friends along the way. Yeah, yeah he, he needs them to pull himself out of one of the stranger concepts, as you mentioned. So we'll just have to dive into that when we get into it. But yeah, time compression, that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> then in, in Final Fantasy X... There's a little bit of something different here. This is a, a different version, a kind of twist on the time travel trope uh, that is oftentimes referred to as dreams of the past, literally. That's that's the trope, and, well, Titus is at least from a, a dream of the past, from Xanarkand, uh, which is this thousand-year-old civilization that really did exist but doesn't anymore but obviously there's a there's a bit more weirdness going on uh, with him but uh, in some ways it mirrors um, the the field of dreams story you know when when you go and you learn lesson or or there actually baseball does this a lot because it happens in Sandlot too when the kid gets a a lecture from Babe Ruth uh, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so yeah the the ghosts of the past the dreams of the past uh, trope is an interesting way to sort of do time travely thingies without necessarily having a time traveler. I also find that interesting because that happens in both 10 and 10 too, right? Like the the events of the past are influencing now, which is a lesson we are often told we need to remember. That also strongly parallels Final Fantasy V in that all the things that happened to create X-Death 
uh, and to create the current situation were influenced by our parents, our forefathers, our our mentors, uh, and now it is incumbent upon us as as the current light warriors to handle the situation. Right. I think there's another trope working there, maybe echoes of the past is a pretty common thing too. You see that in Game of Thrones. You, you hear a lot of these ancient stories and then we're seeing them maybe being repeated or, or, or certainly echoed in our current timeline in Final Fantasy VI, the War of the Magi and you know, repeating a senseless and deadly mistake, having this war all over again between the humans and the espers. So, you know, parallels of, of times gone by. Pretty cool stuff. In Final Fantasy XV, once you uh, reach a, a certain area, you can meet up with your your doggy, uh, Umbra, the, the black dog of... Time travel the, doggo. Yeah, time travel doggo of the Prince of Light, which will allow you to bounce around areas so you can go back and do uh, various missions you perhaps were unable to do before. Uh, or maybe if you're really depressed after what happens after Leviathan attacks, it's nice to go back to happier times. <laughs> right. So all of these are are other examples of time travel in this multiverse. And so is there a way to perhaps understand Chrono Trigger through these other examples of time travel? That is, if if we take the time travel of Final Fantasy 1, which is really a very small part of the story, except that it's the entire story. Right. Does that help us understand Chrono Trigger? I think it does. I I think there's a a number of different ways that we can look at it. Maybe, you know, I think it's a bit different from Final Fantasy 1 in that it, it would appear, at least in what we see, that there are permanent consequences to the actions that we take. And in Final Fantasy 1, that's only true of one action, right? The the final sure. one of, okay. of breaking the loop. In Chrono Trigger, it's suggested that when we do things that arguably have massive ethical questions involved, like swinging the outcome of a war between the mystics and the humans, or maybe even messing with the dominant species on the planet by making sure that the human creatures lived and the reptites did not. And so I I think looking at it through any number of lenses of other stories, for example, A Christmas Carol is one of the most famous, though I don't think people think of it as a time travel story. It is one. Yeah, it is. I think it might be... God, does it beat out the time machine? I think it does. Probably. I'm being a bad librarian here, not knowing when Christmas Carol versus Time Machine was published. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is absolutely a, a, a time travel story, and it deals with consequences of actions. Scrooge cannot interact in his time travels. He can only observe, uh, much like Dante uh, being escorted by Virgil through the Inferno. But the point isn't what he can do to change things. It's what he can learn uh, to change the future or, or, or maybe even change the now. Right. And I think that's where we see a closer lesson in Chrono Trigger, whereas our time travelers in Final Fantasy I don't know they're time travelers or don't know that they're stuck in this time travel loop. Tidus right. does not know until the end, what's going on with him. So uh, Cloud doesn't know that he's done this weird thing. But our heroes in Chrono Trigger do and make an active decision to try to make the world a better place based on what they've learned, namely that it's destroyed. So, yeah, I, I, I think the more we look at each one of these individual stories, we start to understand what are you know, the the most essential lessons that we can learn from Chrono Trigger and much like with A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life. It's it's a story about making the active decision to make things better. I think that's a, a really interesting comparison you bring up with It's a Wonderful Life because I would say It's a Wonderful Life is almost more like Chrono Cross because Chrono Cross is about is Sergei 
is mauled to death by a panther when he's two or if he's not right like if he exists in this world or if he doesn't and that's what it's a wonderful life is about like either our main character exists in this world and even though things are are difficult everyone around him is happier or if he doesn't you know what influence do you have existing in this world so so yeah it is i think that works i think we're sort of zeroing in on this idea of it's about how you do or or what you do with the situation you're given. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I think that leads us really nicely into the first kind of meta question that we asked at the very beginning, which was about time travel stories in general. What is the merit of writing one? I think we've already argued that Chrono Trigger is a very good one, but how good and why? Is it on the level of some of the best time travel stories ever told? I think so. And I think that uh, first begins by answering the question, what is the merit of writing a time travel story? Why have our characters go through all this when, you know, we just narrowed it down to what's about making the choice when you're presented with a very difficult situation. But you can do that without time travel. So why tell the story this way. Well, I think it depends on the kind of time travel story you're trying to tell. I said an episode or two ago that I tend to prefer time travel stories that are a little messy. So if you think of something like Back to the Future, Back to the Future all fits together very nicely, right? You know, his parents get together, but they were always going to get together. The bad guy, Biff, the bully, uh, becomes the guy who cuts the lawn of his dad, who is the nerd. But that was always going to happen. The one thing where they do make it a little messy is... Doc is almost certainly shot and killed at the beginning of that movie. And he absolutely refuses to know his own future when Marty goes to the past. But, you know, he he destroyed that note that told him what was going to happen, but then he didn't destroy it somehow. So I kind of like that. Oh, there that that allows for there to be consequences. If If you write a time travel story where everything is neatly tied up at the end then you take agency away from your characters. It doesn't matter what they do because they were always going to do that. So one of the things I really like about Chrono Trigger in that regard is even though all these other endings are are kind of goofy, there are a lot of other endings. Things could have turned out differently. Uh, just because they are successful doesn't mean they were always fated to be successful. So to try to answer your question, what is the merit of writing a time travel story when you could do some of these themes without the speculative fiction. It allows us, as we have often said, to put our characters into a literally impossible situation. You might ask me, uh, you know, what would you do if you can go back in time? And we can go back and forth and back and forth all night about all the things we could do and all the lotteries we would win and whatnot. But when you put a character literally into that situation, it might be a metaphor for us, but for that character, it's real. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm skirting the issue. Yeah, well, so, for example, I think you can take a a look at the very existence of the Robo character who comes from the furthest along in the timeline and is fighting to change the world from an existence that will eventually include him. He has no idea whether or not he might be blinking himself out of existence. And so it's easy to make arguments about, you know, oh, I would be really altruistic, but sometimes it's worth testing those philosophies in those series. How altruistic would you be? And then what does that mean about the nature of a being like Robo? does it suggest that he just cares less about life than human beings do? Or is there something else going on there? Can there be something noble about the sacrifice of 
an artificial being. When you leave him behind for 400 years to repair a forest, you know, it's a blink of an eye for us, but it's 400 years for him. And yeah, he's a robot, but it, it, it allows you to ask really interesting, like you were saying, questions you wouldn't be able to ask anywhere else and, and kind of ponder, you know, yeah, I, I wonder what that means about the nature of, of life. And would that be a good thing to have robots around who could rebuild forests? But how much of time, you know, is it a good idea to go back and mess with entire ecosystems like that and change them uh, from how they were? And, and, uh, and that's just, you know, out of one storyline, you've got three, four, five really big questions. You know who else sacrifices himself with time travel? Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Robo and Donnie Darko, basically the same character. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think what you were bringing up there, too, it was one of our big questions here. You were talking about it in, in terms of the way the story is written that you prefer the stories that suggest that the characters do have free will and that can messy up your time travel story. But the question in and of itself, do we have free will and how much responsibility do we bear for the consequences of exercising that will? And what if we choose not to? What if our characters, upon learning of the day of Lavos, had decided, you know what? This happens a thousand years after we're all going to be dead. And it's not going to impact us. Let's just go home, live out our lives in relative comfort, and not worry about this. This isn't necessarily our problem. Do they bear a moral responsibility for making that choice? I would totally understand that position, too. If they decided, you know what, this is we are in way over our heads. We don't right. need to get involved in like I would get that. It, it wouldn't be the most heroic choice, and it would make for a pretty poor video game. But, <laughs> right. but I would understand. I would too. But I I think I could also make a pretty compelling argument that they do bear a moral responsibility for the knowledge that they now have. That if they feel they can do something about it, and they happen to know they have this unique ability to move through time that they may be able to do something about it. With great power comes great responsibility and all that. Sure. And furthermore, choosing to have done something about it, should they screw it up, should they make things worse, like stepping on the butterfly in Sound of Thunder, they also bear some responsibility, right? Like It's like that question um, from the philosophy and Final Fantasy book that we talked about, way back uh, for Final Fantasy One, If the Light Warriors deserve thanks for saving the world in Final Fantasy One, then they also deserve to be held responsible should, should, through their actions, things end up worse. Sure. And, and, I, and I think that that's fair. I, you know, I think of the story of Socrates and Euthyphro, uh, and the sort of famously they debate over the definition of to be pious because Euthyphro is going to hold his father on trial and perhaps put him to death for not being pious. Socrates is able to prove that Euthyphro has no good definition of pious, but the man goes off and decides to execute his father anyway. And the moral of that story being that once you have a deeper understanding of the world, you have a responsibility to act in accord. And I think that, you know, by the fact that there are a lot of choices throughout this game, none of them is, do you choose not to save the world? (laughs) Uh, Right. I think the author is telling us something there. Or like you said, it'd just be a really boring video game. If they didn't. Right. Well, I think that's both things. Like, it's, I mean, m- most people aren't going to write the story of the person who chose to do nothing. That's not a very interesting story to read. Uh, it's not a very interesting story to write. Right. Unless for some reason their inaction is is the crux for the things that happen 
in your story. So if the game developers had put together uh, like a whole second set of storyline, you know, a, a whole other thing that could happen should Chrono, Marl, and Luca decide, no, we're not going to do anything, well, then that might be compelling. But if your characters don't do anything, yeah, you know, what, what's the point in telling the story? Right. But that does bring us to another really interesting question, is that, because I think the game makes a very strong argument in favor of free will by showing that our characters can make choices, that those choices do have consequences. As we'll learn in Chrono Cross, they have really deep consequences. They're not just changing their own timeline, they're actually also creating other timelines, which is fascinating. And we'll have to jump into that whole can of worms later. But the... Other interesting side of that is if you have the ability to move through time and manipulate things to such an extent, how much can other people, anyone who's not a time traveler in that world, have free will? For example, our characters go back in time to uh, two generations to get some parents to treat their kid nicer so that the grandkid won't be such a jerk so that they can get a special weapon at one point. That's a, that's a side mission right. you can choose to do. Yeah. And it's fun and interesting and something you could only do in a time travel story, but boy, does it beg some really deep ethical questions. Sure. It, sure. It's probably better that this person's a good person, but if you could do this, couldn't you presumably, if you got really good at it, go around the world and manip manipulate everybody into being whatever you wanted them to be does time traveler become god well i think it depends on what then you are choosing to manip manipulate people to do so i mean we we all have influence to some degree or another over the people around us right uh, i'm a high school teacher librarian i'm not going to pretend like i somehow have the power to turn bullies into philanthropists but I do think it is incumbent upon me to provide a a good role model, to, to be a good role model for these teenagers, even if my influence uh, turns out to be minimal, or even if it turns out to be nothing. I think it is at least part of my job to make the attempt. So I, I think you got to be careful there. This is the same problem with like with Superman. Right, He can do all these things, and even being able to do all these things, he can't save everybody. And that is ultimately one of the big tragedies of that character. You know, when somebody drowns, you know, why didn't Superman save them? If, somebody, if there's a forest fire and people die, or if there's a car crash. But those things happen all the time. Right. You can't save everybody. So in, so in that same regard, you know, if, if I have the power to time travel and I go back in time and I convince whomever to be a, a better person, a more altruistic person, a kinder person, well, okay, yeah, I should probably do that if I can. I'm not sure that it takes away free will from that person or their children. I just think it provides a better environment, a better influence. They can still choose to be assholes if they want. But at least they've got something to compare it to. Right, yeah. I think free will runs deeper than that. I think just because you might be able to influence a person a little bit more one way or the other, that doesn't mean that you're robbing them entirely of their free will or or making sure that their entire future is predetermined or, or predestined. I think that... Yeah, it just it, it runs a little bit deeper than that. And like you said, to some degree that exists already. We're all a little bit products of our families and our friends and where we grew up and who we met when we went to college and what kind of TV shows and games and music we happened to play and listen to when we were kids or, or, or even as adults. And so, the, yeah, there are always those kinds of influences. And 
I, I think one of the things Chrono Trigger does a really good job of is showing limits to the ability of their time travelers. As we talked about, they make a really big deal about the one time you can actually choose to go to a particular place in time to save Chrono from dying. And that's the only time you can do that. So our time travelers are, are limited enough that I think stuff like that, they get to kind of have their cake and eat it too. Like you're saying, they, they get to keep it messy. The free will is a thing. But you can also swing the outcome of a war if you happen to know just the right thing to do. And you also mentioned, do the time travelers become God? No. And, and so that's kind of why I brought up the Superman thing. Like, if, if I can go back in time and influence, you know, everybody in this country to think the way I think, and, and I'm successful, well, who's to say that's going to have positive outcomes, or even positive outcomes the way I might think positive outcomes ought to be? Sure. And then do I have to do it again and again and again? Doesn't there come a point where even time traveler as God runs out of energy, you know, just needs a nap, for goodness sake. <laughs> right, right. You would think so. And that's the other thing is our characters are still otherwise. I mean, they can do magic and stuff, but they're human beings, except the one that's a robot. <laughs> right. Uh, some interesting ethical questions anyway to sort of messing with the existence of a person who's already kind of turned out one way. But I agree with you. I think there's an argument, a fair argument to be made that if you're doing it for the better, you know, the question's often asked, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? It's like, why isn't the question ever asked, like, if you could go back in time to when he was five years old and just make sure he didn't turn into a mass murdering douchebag? Like, maybe just influence him to be a decent human being. That would be an interesting route to take. Right. I don't think anyone would argue with that, you know. <laughs> well, and then how much does that change? Because the the events that led to World War II and the Holocaust didn't Maybe begin and end with Hitler. Maybe one person, right. Yeah. Like, I mean, the way World War I ended put a lot of that into motion. The way World War I began put a lot of that into motion. So, you know, this one dude or this one political party, I mean, if, if you could stop the Holocaust, yes, stop the Holocaust. Like, that's not even a question, Right. Right. But would that do it? That And that's one yeah. of those interesting time travel questions we don't come across in Chrono Trigger like you do in the film Butterfly Effect, where right. every time he goes back and messes with something, something else really horrible has happened, even worse. Right. So that's a, a trope and other things as well. That was just the first one that came to my mind. I think there's a Simpsons episode and a Family Guy episode where they kind of do that. They keep accidentally changing things for the worse. We don't see that in Chrono Trigger where, you know, it, it is one of those things where they have it a little bit neat. Everything that they go in the past and do and affect the world, like I mentioned, swinging the war between the mystics and the humans. Well, that has already been the case in the world they live in. As we've mentioned with Back to the Future, Paycheck and a ton of comic books, they are creating their own already existent past. Stamping out the reptites instead of the humans. That's already been the case in the world that we live in. So they only change things from their timeline on, which is an interesting way of making sure that they, there's no point in their plot where someone can go, ah, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, and also still make this argument about free will. It's pretty clever. Another question of morality that you get to ask when you're dealing with time travel stories because your your story gets to exist rather than being within the life of maybe one person like you might normally get, it's within the entire history of a planet. You can ask this question. Do right and wrong change on a long enough timeline? I think the character 
through which to ask this question that's the most interesting is Magus, because he has the grayest morality, I think, of anyone in the story. And I think, though he never says it directly, he can justify it quite easily by having witnessed the collapse of a civilization, by having this really wide-angle view of the world, understanding what the greatest threat is, which in his mind makes some people sacrificable, even if they don't particularly want to be sacrificed. Yeah, he's got a big enough view that for the greater good, we can start this war with the humans, we can perhaps use the mystics as pawns, in order to summon Lavos so we can kill Lavos because that's going to save so many more people. On the other hand, part of that, I think, is not about saving so many more people as getting to kick the ass of the person who wrecked your life. Like, his story is more of a revenge story than uh, an altruistic story, isn't it? I think it's both. Uh, I, I think that's always one of the fun things to do with a character like this who kind of goes back and forth but yeah i i think i really do think it's both and i think point well made he probably wouldn't be there if not for the personal part of it but you know the you killed my family you killed my people you destroyed my home but I, i do think that he also understands that this is an existential threat to everything And while he might not particularly care for humanity, you know, the proverbial White Walkers situation, the the global warming problem of even if you're the most power-hungry person on the planet, you know, as they often say in, in Game of Thrones, are you going to rule over the ashes? Right. The other thing about on a long enough timeline... On a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. Does morality change or does right and wrong become a little more loose? There's an interesting episode of Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation, where there's a a time traveler who's come back in time, and he's kind of a, if I recall correctly, he's kind of a con artist. He's not really who he claims to be. But the point is, he has some information. Captain Picard wants that information because if he has it, he might be able to save the people on on this planet. Now, from the time traveler's point of view, these people have been dead for thousands of years, one way or the other. And and why should he, or or wouldn't it would it not be immoral of him, to change his own present uh, by giving this information to Picard? And Picard eventually comes down on the side of these people are being hurt now. And you're right. What if? You know, what if I do something and I save these people and one of them turns out to be an awful terrorist? You cannot predict that kind of future. So the long enough timeline problem, the, the way I generally see it, that, that issue of, well, if on a long enough timeline, morality becomes gray, we don't live on a long enough timeline. You know, e- even if I live for 200 years, and, you know, I had all my faculties the whole time. That still, I'm still living moment to moment. I'm still living in the moment. I can, I can learn from the past. I can prepare for the future. But I'm living right now. Which also brings up some interesting time travel theory. There are multiple theories about how time works, both in fiction and in actual science. Could time be circular? Uh, are there multiple parallel coexisting timelines, as we will get into more deeply in Chrono Cross? And also this conversation, the theory that the only time that exists is right now, that actually the past and the future are so nebulous that they don't actually exist in a meaningful way. So the only choice that matters, the only morality that exists is what you are doing right now. There's an interesting version of this in X-Men Days of Future Past. I'll use the film version as the example, as opposed to the TV or comic book, because they're all a little bit different. When they learn, when Wolverine's able to go back and tell Professor X and Magneto the day that Mystique kills this person 
it, it, it sets the whole thing off. That's what begins this war that's more or less going to wipe out all of the mutants. Of course, Professor X is like, okay, we got to get to Mystique. We have to convince her not to do this. And Magneto just decides, I'm going to kill her. Even though he arguably loves her. They never, they never say that directly, but it's heavily implied. That's Magneto's more you know, chaotic, neutral brain at work there. And and I think the argument usually of, of our heroes, of it certainly is of the X-Men, and I think it certainly is of Chrono and Friends, is that, no, like you said, we don't live on a long enough timeline. My life is only going to be my life, and, and, and I can only, you know, be responsible for the actions that I take, and that's not who we are. And, and that's a, a deeper sort of absolute truth that I think is being argued here. So, so there's an interesting back and forth. There's definitely some relativism that's being argued for here, but there are those certain absolutes, which brings us to the next really interesting question. So if that's true, how can we call Lavos evil? Or if we want to parallel Lavos to the Cloud of Darkness in Final Fantasy III, X-Death in Final Fantasy V, Godzilla in Godzilla. Sure. Or Galactus. Uh, Galactus, yeah. 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 I think in the same way, like we've, we've made this comparison before, but in the same way that I would not say a tornado that destroys a small town is evil. I would not say that Lavos is evil. I, I think you can make a different argument for the cloud of darkness because eventually, like initially the cloud of dark is, darkness is just the void, but eventually it becomes sort of sentient. Yeah, it gets and, and sinister. And it's making choices, right? X-Death yeah. is definitely making choices. Now, right, right. X-Death is what he is, Simply because of what he's made up of, right? He 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 grew inside the this tree where all these demons and and such were being captured. It'd be like if the ecto containment unit in Ghostbusters suddenly became a being, <laughs> right? Right. You, you, it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue that it should know better. Galactus, I think, is is an odd. It depends on what you're reading. Galactus can be sort of just a force of nature. Or it can be like, look, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. And then does that not make the X-Men and the Fantastic Four evil for trying to stop this galactic being from sustaining itself? But in the case right. of Lavos, Lavos... you know, Yeah, he's feeding yeah. on the planet. Is that the same thing? I think Lavos, because we never get any sort of motivation from Lavos, I think it is much more like the force of nature. It's, it's, it's the tornado. On the other hand, if you see a tornado is coming and you have the power to stop the tornado, and you have the power to stop the tornado without causing a bigger weather problem somewhere else, and you choose not to, then you're an asshole. I agree. I think that's pretty much the central argument of Chrono Trigger. <laughs> so, so another way to put that would be if you see that global warming is a global threat and you choose to not act, you have the power to act. You know that if you take these actions, maybe a bit over time for the next, say, 12 years, you can avert this disaster, but you choose not to. Yeah. <laughs> does, that, does that make you Lavos or does that make you X-Death? Uh-huh. I don't know the answer, but I do think we should. <laughs> I, I do think we should do what we can to to stop the predicted disastrous effects of global warming, and I do think we should do what we can to stop the predicted disastrous effects of Lavos. <laughs> here, here, and that brings us to our final question about other disastrous effects. Something that we've seen throughout history which is the 
backward moving of civilization. We see this in Chrono Trigger when zeal is destroyed, as we were just discussing. And it begs the question, how fragile is intelligent civilization to moving backward? And I I submit, to further your point from a moment ago, if there's a massive shift in the climate, that's probably going to set us back a few years. And that's it's one uh, among many other things. But it, it does strike me. I've been watching a lot of history documentaries on Netflix and Hulu and all those things that we all have now. And it it does strike me, you know, I never focused on these things when I watched this stuff as a kid or even in high school or college, but when they talk about cities being sacked and these big moments in history where one civilization overthrows another and it's oftentimes celebrated as this victory for one culture over another, but boy, is there a lot of knowledge and history that gets lost Uh, throughout the years when people would go in and just burn stuff down and destroy artifacts and art and entire cities. And it really strikes me how many times we as people have robbed ourselves. Like, we should be way smarter, way more advanced, way more intelligent than we are right now if we weren't so warmongering and, and and violent are we getting a little preachy at the end of this one well, <laughs> look these are the themes of chrono trigger man right it, it, and all the final fantasy games yeah right. so, so are we preachy or are the games preachy yeah. or maybe maybe we're just trying to bring to light what we see as these themes right like like you were saying the burning of the library of alexandria like i'm still pissed about that right <laughs> sure and you know when when the taliban goes in and and destroys artifacts and libraries right. That I, I think we can largely agree that those things are not okay, that they have set us back. And speculative fiction does this all the time. Our hero, Superman, his world is destroyed because people mm-hmm. weren't paying attention to what was going on around them. They were ignoring the information that the scientists were giving them. We just watched Aquaman uh, a month or two ago, right? That's another right. civilization that because they could not... Again, because of the warmongering attitudes some of them had, they lost all this information. They lost all this advancement. The world is poorer for it because people, not enough people could come together and make the decision to to protect each other instead of fight each other. And so in Chrono Trigger, the people of Zeal are so power hungry that they end up destroying their civilization, which is 12,000 years, actually 13,000 if I'm doing my math correctly, before the time that Chrono and Marl and Luca come from. And they're living in, you know, what we think of as like this renaissance period of time where nothing's super advanced, but people are starting to do a little bit better. And there's art and there's music and there's and good robots. times to be had. And there's, ro- there's yeah, there's starting to be some robots, a little bit of industry going on, but... They could have been so much further advanced if the people of Zeal hadn't had gigantic egos. Right. The people of Valyria and Game of Thrones. So we're not entirely sure what that's about. Just the people of Game of Thrones. That's what I'm rooting for. Speaking of stuff, we're, we're nearing the final season of that. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm kind of rooting for the White Walkers so that we'll learn this lesson. I, I wouldn't mind that being the lesson of the show. That if you don't pay attention to the existential threat to all of us until it's too late, you don't get a second chance, you know, and civilization may live on, but it will have to crawl forward very slowly. So I, and perhaps you, and perhaps this podcast, don't necessarily have the answers to all these questions. It is, like, I feel like Chrono Trigger is leaning a particular way, but I also think it doesn't necessarily answer all these questions either. And, in fact, 
brings them up again when Chrono Cross comes around. <laughs> right. That, that's part of the thing here. There's, there's just so much more to think about and talk about. Luckily, we'll have another opportunity to. And maybe that's why the game is so celebrated. Maybe. I, I think because you can revisit it as we do, even if we weren't doing this podcast, every three or four years you can go back and play Chrono Trigger. It's a quick, breezy play. It's got great characters that you can fall in love with all over again. You can ask these questions, maybe come up with different answers than you have before now that you've got different knowledge from the real world. And any good piece of art should do that, should move with you and, and stay with you like that. And speaking of why this game is so celebrated, it's time to finish the conversation on our list of ways we like to analyze art that we've gone through with each game we've discussed to this point, beginning with category number five, the fifth most important in my view. Who, who am I to say? I made this up. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> flaws. One of the reasons I think this game is loved by just about everybody is that it receives incredible marks in this category. There are very few flaws, whether you're talking about the plot, things to pick at, and what's a pretty complicated story, uh, characters, the artwork, the music, the gameplay, the script is pretty tight. There's almost nothing about this game that doesn't work, and there's almost nothing about this game that doesn't serve a purpose. So, well, well done. Yeah, I mean, if this were a short story, it would be a very tight short story. I, the, I don't think there's anything that happens or any actions you take that don't have some bearing on getting us to the end game. We critiqued uh, the music a little bit here and there, and I think we got some pushback on that on Twitter, which right. is fine, right? Like, that, that totally makes sense. Uh, so as far as flaws are concerned, I mean, nothing really jumps to mind for me. Yeah, you could nitpick at some things. Uh, I think I, I mentioned, you know, there's some plot contrivances. The one thing I think about, there's a moment early on in the game where Chrono has been thrown in jail and is escaping now along with Luca and Marl. And they get kind of cornered in the forest, which one is hard to do, but I guess on Super Nintendo graphics there's a way to do it. And that's when they jump into the portal that all of their problems had already been solved. They didn't know about the future inciting incident. And it's kind of happenstance that they learned about it. So I think you could argue that maybe certain plot points are like when they get thrown from the top of the mountain right to where they need to go. And there's a magical little explanation for that. Maybe those things could be cleaned up. People tend to be nitpicky about those things with other stories i've noticed chrono trigger gets a little bit of a pass but that's probably because it's so good in every other area it is and i think a lot of the plot nitpickiness can be sort of hand waved by that idea of the entity that we talked about somebody some sort of sentience wants them to succeed so that's why you know uh, robo thinks that the time portals have little to do with Levos and more to do with whatever this entity is. And I think that helps sort of hand wave some of this stuff saying, look, there's, there's a bigger thing going on here. Yeah. And, and if I wanted to be extra cynical, like I know some people talk about, oh, the force, you know, in Star Wars is just an sure. excuse all or magic in Lord of the Rings. Uh, but I, no, fair enough. I, I think that's all well understood. Our next category Category number four, the cultural impact of Chrono Trigger. This is a tricky one because I feel like it's had a deep impact on pretty much everyone who's played it in one way or another. And yet it doesn't have as wide or as deep a legacy as a lot of the other games we have discussed or will discuss. It, it still hasn't sold a ton of copies over the years. It had the one sequel, and there was always talk of there being Chrono Break, but that has never come to fruition. There's no demand out there for another Chrono game, or, or if there is, it's... It... There is, but it's people like you and me. Right, right. There aren't, you know, I watch a lot of cosplay videos, and there's a lot of Final Fantasy stuff, and I've seen Chrono Trigger, I think, exactly one time that mm. said musically. Oh, yeah. There, there's a ton of rearrangements. It's one of the most prolific rearranged soundtracks 
in the world. So it has an sure. interesting legacy. Yeah. I, I think amongst people who like these kind of games, like if, if you were to, I, I just saw one on Twitter today, you know, quick name your top 10 best video games or whatever. Not everybody mentions Chrono Trigger, but somebody always does. Right. Like it, it's out there. People know it. And the people who know it, who love it are, are always fighting for it. And, and I think that has a lot to do with our, Next couple of categories. Three, crafted as art, the most subjective of the categories. And again, I think, you know, you're going to give it high marks in every category unless you just have a personal preference. And even us, who's like, the Akira Toriyama art is not our favorite amongst JRPG artists. It's still quite pleasant to look at and, and fun. There's nothing ugly about Chrono Trigger at all. Right, and it is clearly quality. Like that guy has a, a technique; he's got a thing that he does. This is this is his art. This is how he does it, and it, like like none of that is an accident. Like the way Chrono Trigger grins is not a happy accident. Like he he did that on purpose. That that whole uh, attitude that Chrono has standing there with his hand on his sword is all on purpose. It's well done. The music matching you know the the sort of banging pipes in the future that that sort of music without a time signature that we talked about an episode or two ago that is on purpose and it all serves to make it more yeah i'm disinclined to do such things even though i like to rank things i don't necessarily like scoring them i don't know that's kind of weird uh but if you were to put in front of me a rubric zero to ten grade chrono trigger in visuals audio story gameplay whatever else you might think of that you would add there it's getting nines or tens in every category and probably more tens than nines it's just extraordinarily well made so category number two industry impact this is where i think it's both successful but also in some ways lags behind oddly enough other games uh, from square at least certainly final fantasy games because there is industry impact as we discussed in the gameplay episode the biggest one was probably new game plus yeah new game plus every game ever forever thank you very much right also multiple endings uh, things like that but from a gameplay perspective, and even from a storytelling perspective, as good as it was, there weren't a lot of people that said, okay, we got to tell time travel stories now, or we got to tell really deep personal stories through uh, this blend of time travel and fantasy, or or we've got to adapt that uh, running around and seeing the, the characters on the screen, you know, dual tech battle system thing. It, it didn't really become the norm. Sure. In in a way, it's it's storyline because it's so short. Like we were t- we were talking about such a tight story, all those things that happen are are kind of things we've seen before, and it does them well. But I'm not sure that it it was so innovative. I guess. Right, and I, I think that's part of why, as much as as people love this game, it's because it's just exceptionally well made. Uh, for me, if you're asking. You know, would I put it in my top five? If I'm counting it as a Final Fantasy game, would I put it in my top five? Probably. Right? That's a, like, I'd have to bump maybe Final Fantasy eight out of my top five. Someone out well, there, boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you on, on a different scale. On the Speed Racer to Ocean's Eleven scale, yeah. are you putting it closer to Speed Racer or closer to Ocean's Eleven? I'm definitely going to put it closer to Speed Racer. Okay. Because I, I think it's just so creative. All right. But I, I do think it, it ends up closer even in to, to Blade Runner on on that whole spectrum. But it does have a little bit of Speed Racer in there, too. There are parts of it that are pretty goofy. Uh, <laughs> and in a good way. Right, right, right. But... I think the reason why I would still have games probably like Final Fantasy VI, VII, maybe even X above Chrono Trigger. For VI and VII, a lot of it has to do 
with the industry impact and everything that they've meant to video games and, and Final Fantasy and what they're about. For 10, I think it's more about emotional impact. And as much as I think Chrono Trigger asks, and answers very few, but asks some very deep and, and troubling questions, it doesn't quite have that deep personal punch that some of the Final Fantasy games do for me. 7 and 10 particularly come to mind. And so I would rank it behind those, but still very, very high. So you talk about the questions it asks. Does that lead us into cultural commentary? Like, does, does it have something to say about the culture? And if so, does it do it in an interesting way? I think so. And, and I think that's why I would have it so high on my list. That's why I probably would bump out other Final Fantasy games that I really love that also do this, but I think Chrono Trigger just does it better. Uh, I, I think it, it has some really fascinating questions that we've been talking about this entire time, the nature of morality, of taking a life, of giving a life, of choosing to do something or choosing to do nothing, of choosing to do something that might mean that your own personal life is worse or that it goes away, but that everyone else gets to live a better one. These are some tough and, and, you know, philosophical, utilitarian, Kantian-style questions we're getting into here on a Super Nintendo game. and That's pretty cool. So you're going to say it, it ranks highly in, the, in our number one category, cultural commentary. Very, very highly. <laughs> it's on the Final Fantasy VII, VI, X, Bioshock... Metal Gear Solid 2 level of cultural commentary and Chrono Trigger. I think that might be my entire, if I was to have a very top tier category of games with excellent commentary about the society we live in. It's, yeah, those I just listed. What was it? Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy 6, 7, and 10, Tactics, Bioshock, Metal Gear Solid 2. I'm sure there are some I'm not thinking of, but that's my, if I'm trying to be really selective and only have seven games in my top tier video games that have cultural commentary. Yeah. Well, I'm sure anybody listening will have their own list. And if you're interested in letting us know what that list is comprised of and why, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. If you could go back in time, what would you do? Meet a personal hero, give your younger self sage advice, or perhaps you have bigger ideas. Stop the assassination of Dr. King, kill Adolf Hitler. And if you were successful, how much of an impact would it have? Is the life or death of a single person, even so influential a person, really so important on a long enough timeline? The doctor teaches us never to be cruel or cowardly, to always try to be nice and never fail to be kind. Ebenezer Scrooge learns he can't change his past, but he can influence his future. What does Chrono learn? What does he teach? History and society are massive, unwieldy, and difficult to parse in the moment. But sometimes we are faced with a problem personal or global or somewhere in between, and we have an opportunity to make a choice. Chrono Trigger is a story about making choices. Marl, Luca, and Chrono witnessed the destruction of humanity nearly 1,000 years from their present, and they make a choice. They could have chosen to do nothing and lived ordinary lives. Instead, they choose to try to help. Ilo chooses to fight tyranny. Magus chooses to sacrifice himself and others to defeat Labos. 
Frog chooses to find meaning in companionship. Robo chooses to save the past, though it might erase his present. I don't know if they were right or if they were wrong. On a long enough timeline, perhaps it doesn't matter. On the other hand, perhaps life isn't about the length of the timeline, but about whether and when we make a choice. Thank you.